As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me today a dear friend from the yoga world in New York. She is an author of an Amazon bestseller called Inner Wealth, How Wellness Heals, Nurtures, and Optimizes Ultra-Successful People. She's the founder of Namaste Wellness. She has over 25 years of experience as a clinical social worker, as well as a yoga and meditation teacher. Julie Wald, welcome. Thanks, Elena. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's really nice to have you. I've been missing you. And um, I'm so excited to talk to you finally today about your work. It's been a long time in the making. And um, I'd like to hear first about how you started Namaste New York, because to my knowledge, and I was in New York for a long time, it's kind of the only thing that's doing what you do. And you started as yoga teaching, meditation teaching, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, actually, um, coming out of about 10 years practicing as a clinical social worker in a psychotherapeutic context. So that kind of overlapped with my yoga and meditation teaching, which ultimately is what enabled Namaste New York to come to fruition. Got it. And what, what really drove me to get in touch with you and want you on the podcast, especially now, is the fact that you are not just serving sort of private clients doing yoga in their homes, but you're also delivering your studies, your body of education in social work to an evidence-based wellness program to support mental health in companies. And I think this is a conversation worth having because delivering that kind of a service not just to commercial companies, but also to schools that are underserved, to hospitals, to community orgs. This is why I want to talk to you, because I think that more of the folks who might be listening to this podcast, you know, my listener might be interested in how to do something like what you're doing. It's so easy, accessible. It just takes a little bit of work, but you know, you've been at it for a long time. So I really want to find out about this. Um, teach my listener about how you started, how this came to pass, the need for this service at this time, and what you're proudest of maybe at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. So rewinding back to the year 2003, when we sort of officially became a company, we really were born out of the crisis of 9-11. So I was working as a clinical social worker in New York City. I worked in the Bronx. I worked in Brooklyn. I worked for organizations like the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services. I worked for New York Presbyterian Hospital. 
I worked in a variety of different types of mental health settings from different levels of acuity from inpatient to, to outpatient and also did a fair amount of work in sort of the medical social work world as well. And all the while, you know, and this goes back sort of pre-2003, I was using yoga and meditation to manage my own stress around the challenges that I was facing at work, which were things like, you know, suicidal teenagers and couples who were in crisis and substance abuse and child abuse and just heavy, heavy mental health work that left me in a place of really needing self-care. So that was the beginning of my own personal journey. And then when 9-11 happened in New York, I, I really found that the integration of some of these practices that I was using for my own mental health and well-being, managing my own stress, came into play in my work as a social worker. So I'd be in these sort of more formal settings, delivering what you know was clinical psychotherapy and finding the need and the desire and the very strong instinct to sort of integrate wellness practices. So like a perfect example is, you know, I was working with a, a 16-year-old black teenager from the Bronx who was mandated to come and see me because he had thrown a chair at his teacher. And if he had had a, a, a weapon in his hand, a gun in his hands, he probably would have shot the gun because it really wasn't about the weapon. It was about this just intense pain and anger and rage. And, and here I was, this young, you know, 20-something-year-old and, you know, white woman, and I'm sitting across from this kid thinking, how in the world am I going to help him? Like any amount of talk therapy right now is not going to help this person control his impulses so that he doesn't get himself into deeper trouble or hurt somebody in a really big way. And I started teaching him yoga and meditation in my tiny little psychotherapy office because that felt like the most responsible thing to do and teaching him about how to sense the signs in his body of stress and when he was about to sort of act impulsively. And when that happened, it was such a transformational experience for me. I realized I really need to integrate this wellness work into my personal work because in working with this young man for a year, he had massive transformation as a result of really just building up a really powerful toolkit that ultimately ended up creating a trustful bond, which led to more dialogue and more of a traditional sort of talk therapy relationship. But it came out of it came out of the tools. It came out of some of this more concrete work. So 9-11 happened. I, I looked at my husband, Michael, who wasn't my husband at the time. We were engaged and, and he was on track to be a lawyer and wasn't feeling inspired. And we said, New York needs us, thus the name Namaste New York, and which is now Namaste Wellness because we are serving people all over the globe. But mm -hmm. um, found mm -hmm. that New York needed help, New York schools, New York companies across the board, everybody needed help. And, and we felt like we had the knowledge and the tools to, to be a resource. So 
sort of we we ended up by chance having the opportunity to work in some corporate settings delivering you know delivering meditation classes delivering yoga classes because people were really really dealing with huge amounts of stress and very quickly found that there was traction and and that was really the beginning of namaste for a while i had two hustles i was a social worker and i was i was you know running namaste with michael my my husband and partner and and teaching a lot and then over time it really evolved to to be what what it is today which is bringing these evidence-based practices and integrating them with sort of that fundamental clinical knowledge of of mental health and bringing this work to organizations to to specifically with the purpose of of supporting mental health and i think that's um it's the intention it's the goal that probably differentiates us the most in terms of sort of the other sea of wellness options out there amazing options of course and tell me how, when you began with him, I'm still sitting in your tiny little office with this one child who was experiencing violence in his body, likely from his own household. Tell me what you did first. Do you remember? Yeah. Well, I, you know, as a, as a social worker, you learn that the, the most important thing is to, when you're working with somebody, is to, is to meet them where they are. And this was really, I think, sort of the secret to my my work and my success all the way through as a you know as a as a coach, as a teacher, as a therapist, um, is really the ability to make that connection and form that trust. But in order to do that, you have to find that point of connection. There's this. There's sometimes like what feels like a pinhole that is where where you can find real empathy for people and and. And through that, figuring out what's going to be most relatable. So for this young, strong kid, you know, I knew that starting with breathing would feel a little much for him. And so we started with things like balancing poses. We, we started with handstand and crow, and it became kind of a fun game because I knew this was a super, you know... In another situation, this kid, you know, could have been an incredible athlete or, you know, who knows what, but he he didn't have any sort of physical outlet. And so we started there and he thought it was really fun and, and he kind of thought he was getting away with something, not having to, to talk, um, even though he really didn't even begin to have the language to, to, to talk about his feelings. Um, so yeah, we were doing handstands against the wall in my little tiny teeny office up in the Bronx and it was awesome. And through that, he started to trust me and he started to think that maybe I wasn't just the worst thing in the world. (laughs) And so just another, just another person out to make him do things he doesn't want to do. Exactly. Exactly. And out of that trust, you know, three, four months later, I said, okay, I have a crazy idea you know, let's, let's talk about the breath and how this might be a tool. And, you know, he's looking at me like I'm, I'm out of my mind, but again, I had, I'd sort of put in the time to meet him where he was and to build that trust and to, and to make that connection. And once you have that, it's kind of like sky's the limit. You can, you can really find a huge opening. That little pinhole becomes just a really big, beautiful doorway to introduce all kinds of things once that trust is established. And you took that 
you created what you've created now with your man, which is something that reaches far more humans on a regular basis. Obviously, COVID has presented you with the option to be more online and less in person, which has its perils and virtues. I would love to hear how you guys are taking this very extenuating circumstance and reaching more humans. How are you doing that? What is your plan for, let's say, next year, five years, if you have it? I'm interested in... uh, basically enlightening my listener to how he or she could do something like what you're doing on a grand scale or a bigger scale and help as many folks as possible with what they know, be it yoga, meditation, breath work, social work, whatever, in using your example as kind of a a starting point. Absolutely. So, so, you know, I think before we can sort of meet the world with solution, it's really important to understand the problem. And, you know, particularly, you know, since COVID is hit and we've delivered corporate wellness programs for, you know, really we started doing it before 2003. So really almost 20 years we've been, we've been delivering corporate wellness programs. And with COVID, there's been an enormous uptick in the need for what we do. So, you know, we were born out of 9-11 because there was a huge need. You know, then the wellness industry unfolded over the last 20 years. We had 2008 crisis. We had different touch points over the course of, of the life of Namaste. And when COVID hit, this intense need for support in an organizational setting for these employees or individuals trying to navigate what feels like an impossible time in so many people's lives. So just to give you a sense, pre-COVID, and this is according to a Kaiser survey, pre-COVID, about 19% of U.S. adults reported poor mental health. In May, so this is sort of like in the heart of lockdown or quarantine for many people, about 39% of U.S. adults reported poor mental health. In July, that number rose to 53%. And everyone believes across the board that the problem is growing. And only 50% of employees are actually comfortable discussing mental health issues. So we can assume that that 53% number in July is way bigger today, which is pretty overwhelming and astonishing. In fact, 60% of people, according to the survey, believe that the worst is yet to come. So, So that's the problem. So how do we then support people and meet people where they are in, in getting through this challenging time is the next question. And of course, and I am a therapist, and traditional psychotherapy is is really powerful and valuable. But on an organizational level, people are needing different, more more creative, more proactive, more immediate solutions in conjunction with that more traditional mental health support. And that's where our wellness programs come in. And so, we have a couple of frameworks that we use, which I think really help 
organize the way that we approach this in the corporate setting. And so one framework is that you know, we provide really three different types of support. We provide education, and that comes in the form of really amazing masterclass webinars where people can learn the research, the evidence behind, you know, why are we telling you to breathe? Why are we telling you to meditate? Why are we telling you to exercise? What's the difference between strength training and yoga and cardiovascular training? What do the most amazing, you know, research institutions say about the benefits of these practices when when done consistently. So, you know, really providing that education for so many people who maybe this work doesn't feel like low-hanging fruit, it's not something that they totally resonate with, yet they know they need help. Oftentimes that education touch point is, is super, super important. And then the second is practice, which you and I know is just the key to everything. And and we also know that behavior change is really, really, really hard for people. And so, you know, we can tell them all day long, this is going to be good for you, but it takes on average 66 days to, to create a new habit. And that's if you don't miss one single day of doing something. And, you know, we know that cultivating habits is really the most effective way to, you know, implement lifestyle medicine. And so these practice sessions are virtual meditation, yoga, fitness, Pilates, what, whatever it is that, that an organization thinks that its employees will connect with. Again, we want to meet them where they are. We're not here to, to force them to do or be something that they're not. And then what we find is once you build that trust, just like that original client that I mentioned, sort of the door opens really wide after that. And then the third piece, so it's education practice, and then it's one-on-one support because we all have our own nuanced challenges, whether it's dealing with homeschooling kids and, you know, needing to perform at a really high level simultaneously, or whether it's a substance abuse challenge or financial concerns, whatever it might be, people need one-on-one support. And so that coaching, I have a team of people that we work with that all have backgrounds very similar to mine in terms of a master's in social work, that experience in a clinical setting coupled with this wellness expertise and more than one modality. And so they really do... um, that one-on-one support for employees and that coaching. So between the education practice and support, there's a really beautiful, robust, and rich program for employers to offer their employees who are really their most valuable asset as a company. And if your employees are not okay, your company is not okay. If your teachers are not okay, your school is not okay. You know, it's, it's really so incredibly fundamental. So that's that's kind of the delivery mechanism, but you know, there's other frameworks that we use to sort of organize the work, which I think might also be interesting to your audience. Yeah, I I would actually love to hear about the other frameworks, but I just want to touch on one point that you made. The moment in time in which we find ourselves. So right now it's uh it's very fraught. Um, I've just finished watching actually the uh, the film called Social Dilemma, mm. which if you haven't seen, Julie, listener, please, please see. It's important. And I'm now seeing how this polarization happened, how these, you know, 20 to 30-year-old white boys 
designing code, primarily white boys, designing code, created the addictive pull-the-refresh functionality of social media Hmm. and how their creation has now unleashed a situation where each of us is actually operating in a vacuum. We're only really seeing more of what we've indicated uh, a propensity toward. And as a result, we have two, basically two sets of information and then two operating systems and two groups of people. We've never been more polarized in history. We've also never had companies like these tech companies making more money ever, 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 ever. Which brings a lot of folks to a very dark, hopeless place. Now, what I want to address with you is, I think this is the starting point now. I think we have to acknowledge the fact that folks are being exposed to this truth of how polarized we are. They're, you know, finding themselves having to unfollow and unfriend and block. And uh, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's so inhumane. And I don't know, watching the ways in which most of these sort of key players in the design of this functionality of social media are now turning around and saying, particularly in this film and saying, hey, we're sorry, and we need to fix this because we didn't anticipate the use of our functions of our apps in these very nefarious ways. We don't let our children touch these apps. Hmm. All of that said, I mean, it's, you have to watch it. It's, it's downright vital. All of that said, our responsibility now, if we're choosing ourselves to be in the service of helping folks to allay fear, allay sadness, work through all of this very passing but real phenomena emotionally and mentally, um, we have to pay attention and we have to acknowledge the fact that this is really going on. And I think that's what you're doing well. And that's why you have a thriving business through this because you are actually in service, humbly, and helping in a very big way. When you start with a person, a company, what is kind of the first thing that you begin with so that all of us, my listener and I, can get an idea for what it looks like to just, I I imagine it's sort of like when I sit down to talk to my kid and we have a heart-to-heart. We just sit down. What happens first? How do you figure out what's going on for that person? Totally. And, you know, and and if you think about it on an organizational level, you know, when you're speaking with with someone in human resources, for example, the first question is, what do they see as the biggest challenge that they're facing right now? And, And you'd be surprised as to just the nuances that, you know, happen from organization to organization that depending on the demographic, you know, if if they're working with a lot of millennials or young, you know, people in their 20s uh, who don't who don't have have families, 
you know, loneliness is a huge concern. If they're dealing with people in midlife like me who have three kids and and are, you know, juggling work and and school and all of those various needs, you know, financial major financial stressors, you know, that's that's a different problem. And it doesn't mean that the solutions aren't the same for all the different problems because when we look at at stress and we look at the evidence around these practices and their ability to, to help people manage stress. Um, you know, it's the answers are oftentimes the same regardless of what the problem is. But again, you know, making sure that we understand what they see as, as the biggest issue. Some people, it's just, they're losing hours and hours a day of productivity out of their employees and they don't know what to do because, you know, it's, it's not, you know, everybody's in an, impossible situation. Uh, so, so yeah, we start by understanding the problem and then, you know, we work to educate the decision makers around the impact that different types of practices and interventions can have on their employees. And, you know, in doing that, we usually design programs around what we call the four pillars of wellness. And this is something that we sort of came to through the years, just through working with so many extraordinary organizations and and leaders, is that the basic fundamental ingredients for whether it's an individual's wellness program plan or whether it's a company's wellness program and plan, it's really about movement, stillness, connection, and nourishment. And if you think back to when you had a baby, those are the four ingredients that any newborn baby needs to thrive. If they're moving enough, if they're getting enough rest, if they're connecting to the people that love them physically and emotionally, and if they're getting proper nourishment, unless there's some other variable, that baby's going to thrive. And then oftentimes just, and it's it's so simple, this isn't rocket science, right? So, so oftentimes as early as early childhood, parents start to forget about the importance of these four pillars and all of a sudden, you know, we're not eating well or, our, you know, our, our children, these basic fundamental variables aren't as locked in place as they were maybe when we had a little baby and we, we were paying attention to that on a, on a different level. And then, of course, by the time you get to young adulthood or in midlife, you know, so many people, when they just look at their life through the lens of those four pillars, say, oh, gosh, you know, I'm my foundation only has two pillars and of course I'm feeling shaky. And of course I, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling on stable ground. And so there's other reasons, obviously, but the idea is that if we can get those fundamentals in check, then our ability to sort of address the hierarchy of needs becomes a lot more available to us. And, and if those fundamentals aren't in check, then we're sort of compromised. So if somebody's suffering from huge amounts of anxiety and they don't have any movement practices in their life, we can give them all kinds of talk therapy. We can give them a lot of different mechanisms to work through that. But if we implement movement, all of those mechanisms are going to be exponentially more effective. Right, right. So it really is movement-based which is really great and important. I think a lot of folks, I mean, between March and May, I think a lot of folks <clears throat> went one of two directions, <laughs> either moving and really being conscious of it or really not. 
Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really the four pillars and I use movement as an example, but it's really movement, stillness, connection and nourishment as sort of, if you think of like a house on stilts, I think of those four kind of pillars of holding up the house and that if we're moving regularly and we're getting stillness and we're getting nourishment and we're getting connection, then we're at least coming to the table with some, some stability, but even on top of even people who are doing all of those things, you know, are still are still struggling. So when when those variables are missing, then, you know, things become much more challenging. And what we're seeing is that, you know, under normal circumstances, pre COVID, we're all dealing with stress, I've been managing sort of work family balance for many, many years. And all of us have our own flavor of, of stress in our lives. But Usually we're a- we've been able to historically put together a lifestyle that perhaps keeps us in our win- what's called our window of tolerance. And when we're in our window of tolerance, it's when we're managing stress, we're coping, we're still, you know, we're we're functioning at a high level. It doesn't mean it's there's no stress in our lives, but we're handling it. And what happened with COVID is that many of us went into either and you just described this, either a hyper-aroused state or a hypo-aroused state, where we're no longer in our window of tolerance. We're either sort of, I I think I saw something posted on Instagram where it was somebody said, like, either I'm I'm cleaning the baseboards with a Q-tip or like, I can't get out of bed. Or there's really like no, no (laughs) in between there. And, and I, and that's That's really that like hyper arousal state is when we're cleaning the baseboards with the Q-tip and that hypo aroused is when it's not functioning. Toilet paper works fine on the baseboards. (laughs) And second of all, I super get it. Both sides, actually, both sides. Okay. So I'm now looking at the prospect of one of my listeners, let's say wanting to serve in this way. I want to first applaud the fact that you have sort of kept on top of the changing landscape, even with your website. I noticed that your website has at its very front page, it's namasteny.com, even though it's now called Namaste Wellness, the website is still namasteny.com, and is Nancy. COVID-19 is changing our world at lightning speed. Your well-being is our top priority. Empower and take care of yourself in new and different ways with wellness practices that keep you thriving amidst challenging times. I really appreciated that. I think, you know, there's also in this space folks who are doing that and folks who are kind of hanging back and waiting to see how it all plays out. I appreciate that you're just jumping in and saying, okay, this is What's happening, there's a constant evolution happening. We're here to meet your need. My last question before I move on to sort of the questions that I always ask folks is if if somebody comes to you now and says, okay, I've got my whole company on Zoom, we're 15 people and I need to work with you because I don't understand how to support my people. There are some gaps and holes and ways in which I don't think I'm showing up properly. What do you do first? Hmm. So usually we we start with um, a masterclass where we're just sort of laying everything out on the table in terms of our philosophy, educating people about the four pillars, 
educating people about the research that's been done on the power of wellness practices and fitness practices. And, you know, just sort of setting the stage for a more practical experience. And I think that particularly for all of the teachers and practitioners out there, I think it's important to to recognize that you probably have so much knowledge to share that you could probably share even outside of the bounds of a traditional yoga class or a traditional meditation class that can you turn these this knowledge into other sort of educational classes because not everybody is ready to dive in to practice right away they need to learn they need to understand first people who come at things from a more cerebral perspective or just don't relate and when we're talking about the employee population we're talking about most people probably who do not listen to your podcast, Elena, right? They're they're just not not in this world already. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that just because something's obvious to you or me or or somebody some other amazing yoga teacher out there doesn't mean that the 42-year-old accountant knows anything about what you're talking about or has any clue. It is not obvious to them. Right. And so really understanding the range of, you know, once, you, as you said, like we're so in our own world that if I look at my Instagram or any of my social media, like as far as I know, everybody's like obsessed with wellness. Everybody, like, like I only see what the program allows me to see, which are basically people just like me. But the truth is, is it's a really big world out there. And so many people just are, are really far away as trendy and hip as wellness is. They, they, they're, not, they're not there. That's not their world. And so I think education is, is really important. And then it's really a combination because different people need different things. And so maybe at a company will offer a masterclass and then maybe it's going to be a series of different types of experiences that enable employees to create a community experience over a 30-minute yoga class or a meditation class or uh, even a Zumba class or a dance class. It's a strength training class. We, we create some variety in there because the truth is, is again, this idea of meeting people where they are, different people are going to need and want different things. And different people have different pillars that are going to be lacking for them. So some people may have that movement box checked and they're exercising every day, but they're not really sleeping and they're over caffeinating and they've never meditated. And an introduction to mindfulness or breath work would be really, really resonant for them. Whereas, you know, their colleague may have been sitting on the couch for the last six or seven months and barely moved and they really need to start with some movement. And so it's it's different. So usually we start with a little bit of a, a smorgasbord and less a leadership someone in the company really believes that there's a specific track that's going to be most relevant, like a meditation track or a yoga track. And then lastly, you know, we deliver one-on-one coaching to employees. So for example, a company might buy a package of coaching sessions that they offer to employees to take advantage of around talking through some of the, the specifics of their obstacles and you know what what their challenges are at this point and then through some coaching we support them in getting really practical and tactical about how they're going to make some small changes that will have some really big big impact and that i think is a huge takeaway that really small things can make a really really big difference for people and sometimes especially when we're trying to create behavior change or ha- or, or help people develop new healthy habits 
starting small is so important. You know what's interesting? In Social Dilemma, when you watch it, you're going to see that the watch for the guy who has dreadlocks talking because he speaks about the smallest incremental changes in the functionality of certain aspects of all the social media apps that we use most frequently. These tiny little subtle changes <clears throat> that actually affect in the subtlest ways our behavior and solidify actions. It felt so scary and so true. And what you're saying is the sort of beneficent side of that. Exactly. Exactly. That's so it, Elena. It's like, you know, we worked with a company and we sort of trained the teams that everybody, instead of saying you all have to meditate for 20 minutes and da, 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 we basically said to them, let's start here. Everybody is going to take a deep breath before you get on one of these company meetings, you know, and that's just one deep breath. And Nobody could say, I don't have time for a deep breath. I can't do a deep breath. Deep breaths aren't really my thing. You know, it's, it's, it's one deep breath. And so really understanding that, you know, oftentimes just, it's just the getting started also, in addition to that one small thing being so, having such a huge ripple effect, it's oftentimes just the, the beginning of something, the getting started that's, that's the hardest. And if we we bite off a really small piece that becomes a little bit easier. Right. And then I think it's Newton's law that says like, once you're in motion, you stay in motion. And so sometimes it's just about kind of getting into motion for people, getting people started, finding that, that yeah. sort of lowest common denominator to make it happen. That's right. I'm going to ask you one of the three questions that I ask most of my guests and it's the final question that I usually ask, which is what does prayer mean to you at this time? Hmm. For me, prayer has been about my gratitude practice right now. And it's been such a huge tool that I've used on a personal level to navigate this period and something that I try to weave into almost everything that I do throughout the day. And I think, um, I think you, you relate to that and I probably learned it from you. Um, so yeah, the first thing I do when I, when I wake up, I I have an old school Amazon alarm clock on my nightstand and I plug my phone into the kitchen because I'm just addict, as addicted to it as the next person. And so if I don't kind of keep it away, it's it's not, it will interfere with things like prayer for me. And so making space for prayer, I think is is most important. And then when my alarm goes off in the morning, I've sort of trained my mind to the very first thought is gratitude gratitude for waking up, gratitude for whatever else comes to mind. And um, I do the same thing at night as my, as my bookends. So yeah, it's, it's core. Very helpful. I appreciate so much, um, Julie, the practicality that you bring to something that is so ridiculously emotionally important right now. 
And I, th- I would love to recap for my listener, for those folks that want to do something like what Julie is doing, offer in some way concrete help, because I think the more that we do this, the better we are as a society. Educating folks first, once you've found out what's really important to them. Well, let's back up. Find out what's really important to the person in front of you with whom you're working. What is the biggest issue for them? What presents itself in front of you, whether they say it or they, they sort of emanate it? And then educating them on what you and your, you know, very experienced body can sense to be the most helpful thing based on what's, you know, sort of the biggest stressor for them. And then beginning to put it into practice. It seems like that's the chain of events. I'm sure that we all know this. If we're listening to this podcast, we have some sense of it. But my hope in talking to you today, Julie, is that one of us somewhere, I know that it happened for me, I just got a really good idea while you were speaking earlier. One of us gets inspired to serve in some different, new, more thorough uh, greater listening way than perhaps we have in the past. And I think that's a real gift that you've just given us. So thank you. Mm, thanks, Elena. Yeah. Tell us namaste, N-Y, N-A-M-A-S-T-E-N-Y is the website.com. Um, namaste, N-Y. Tell us what else we should be looking for from you. Well, feel free to to reach out to me if you'd like to discuss how we approach working with organizations. Also, I'm personally, um, one of the silver linings of COVID is that I'm spending a lot less time commuting. And so I've had some space to take on a few more personal clients. So that's an offering that I'll put out there on the table in terms of coaching clients. And yeah, you can you can reach out to, to Namaste just to, as a practitioner, to talk about collaboration opportunities. We're working with so many incredible organizations and we're always looking for amazing teachers to help us in the implementation of our programming. And um, yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind. Well, I appreciate so much everything that you bring to the table, the way in which you're serving folks who, as you said earlier, really don't who aren't exposed to all this. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for for all of your work. And it's really good to have you here. And I look forward to hearing more about how you evolve as time goes on. So thank you for being here. Elena, thank you. I just, you know, you just said something and I have to close with this thought is that service, Mm. you know, service is, is so incredibly important in terms of our own well-being and and one of the ways i think one of the most powerful ways that we can handle the loneliness that we feel right now so many people are feeling that we're finding in the corporate setting as we work with so many employees is that people are really struggling with loneliness and and when we can be of service it is an incredible cure for loneliness and so i found that to be the case personally. And just when you said that word service, I felt I really needed to add that at the end. And my own mom, who's just Mm. amazing, was really struggling during COVID. 
And she went to one of her own, her own spiritual teachers, who's the wife of a rabbi. And, and that woman said to her, um, do mitzvahs, which in, in Yiddish or Jewish is basically just be in service, help people. And that, you know, she is found to be just incredibly supportive to her own mental health. So I'd like to end on that note. Feed people. <laughs> yes. Help people. Beautiful. All right. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you for being here and have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. You too, my dear. Thank you. Bye, honey. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.